Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, it's your word that tells us of such love. And the images in your word to describe your love are even more striking, more scandalous than the words of any song ever since written to express it. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege I have of opening your word with my family in the faith. Thank you for those who have come here seeking you. And perhaps there's a few that have come just to keep a social obligation. Would you meet with them? Would you speak to them? You love them as well. Would you persuade them of your goodness? Would you show them their need, their sin, their distance from you? Would you bring them home so that they could experience that love for themselves? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. If you're here and you're just realizing it's Mother's Day, I have good news. Grace and forgiveness is the very foundation of the Christian faith, so you may experience that from the person you forgot this morning. Hopefully that is none of you. Uh, my name is Bruce Garner. If we haven't met, I'm delighted that you're here. I'm the senior pastor here at uh, Crosspoint. I don't do all the teaching. I do most of it. In a couple weeks, you'll hear from, from Pastor DJ, and it's just a, just a really cool family of faith that God is building here at Crosspoint. And the, we started the, week, the year, as we normally do, moving through books of the Bible, and we're taking a quick month-long pause to talk about the basics of the Christian life. This morning after the first service, I met someone who was in a Christian church for the first time in their life. Maybe you're in that same situation, or it's been so long, you're not really sure how, what's going to happen, why we're doing all this, why we're singing. I'll explain it to you. Jesus actually did live among us and give evidence that was overwhelming, beyond refutation to anybody who would honestly and humbly care to know Him, that He really was the Son of God. He went week by week into the synagogue of his day some 2,000 years ago and opened up what we today call the Old Testament. The Old Testament are the first 39 books in your Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures. Jesus read and explained that Scriptures, prophecies, Psalms written a thousand years earlier in some cases were actually a portrait and a promise of him. He had the absolute, perfectly truthful audacity to go into a synagogue, read a scripture from Isaiah, and tell them, today, this scripture is fulfilled right here in front of you. Before that meeting was over, they tried to kill him for it. So we're going to open the scriptures now. The first 39 books of the Bible were written centuries before Jesus was alive. 700, even a thousand years, sometimes longer than that. And then, in keeping with God's promise, He actually lived among us, died on a Roman cross, as had been promised in excruciating detail that people could not understand at that time, and actually rose from the grave. That had been promised in the Old Testament. He explicitly said so in his lifetime. I'm going to die and then take my life back. No one's going to take it from me. I have authority to lay it down and to pick it back up again. And he did just that. So the New Testament, part of which we're reading today, are the eyewitness experiences in some cases of the men who knew him. 
They give us four Gospels, four portraits of the life of Jesus, and after that, the story of the very first Christians and then a collection of letters written by the apostles primarily around the people, written to the people who were starting to believe in Jesus, not only in Israel, but across the Roman Empire. That's what we're doing now. And I'm telling you all about the Scriptures because this is what Christians have done from the time of Christ. They started gathering on Sunday, not on Saturday, because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. In their day, they would open up the Hebrew Scriptures. As the New Testament started being written in their own lifetime, they started receiving, I don't have time, but I can show you in the New Testament, the apostles, even as they were writing, were conscious from God that they were writing new Scripture, that God was speaking again to explain the life of His Son. So this little series, we've left what we normally do, which is teaching through books of the Bible, and we're doing four weeks of the very basics of the Christian life. And today, the next step in growing up, last week we talked about loving, this week we're talking about reading, we're talking specifically about reading the Bible. And the Bible's a hard book to read for all the reasons I just described. It's removed from us in time and culture and language. You're reading a translation of the Bible. Very few people in this room could read the Greek or the Hebrew it was written in, but we have incredibly accurate, very faithful translations written in our language that tell us the story of the Bible, and we also live in an amazing time where, since the internet has changed all of our brains, some really smart Christians have started using the internet and starting using video to tell you what Scripture is. Some of you this year and last year read through the entire Bible for the first time because you used something that's mentioned on your notes, the Read Scripture app, put together by two bright guys up in Portland. Portland, the land of, you know, artisanal everything and ironic beards, also has a really cool ministry called the Bible Project where two, two biblically trained guys with a real gift for artistry have explained what the Bible is. By way of introduction to the Bible itself, watch this. So the Bible is one of the most influential books of all time, but what is it exactly? Yeah, some people treat the Bible like a divine behavior manual that dropped out of heaven. Others use it like a theology dictionary written to answer all of our questions about God. And others still think of it like a grab bag of spiritual one-liners and inspiring stories. But here's the thing. The Bible isn't written as a rule book or theology dictionary or even as a collection of inspirational writings. Then what is the Bible? Well, open up the Bible to page one and read the opening words. In the beginning. Now, turn to the last chapter of the Bible where you can read this. And they reigned forever and ever. Okay, so the Bible's telling a story from beginning to end. Yeah, it's one epic narrative about how God has appointed humanity as his partners to oversee this amazing world. It's about how we've ruined that partnership and how God is restoring us and our world through Jesus. Okay, one story, but there's a lot going on. Many plots, many characters, all written in many different books. But once you see how every book has a careful literary design, you won't get lost. And you can see how it fits into the overall storyline. There are also important repeated themes that weave through the entire biblical story. Yeah, like the covenants that God makes with people. Or the hope for a human who will confront evil. Or how God's justice will one day make all things right. And every theme culminates in the story of Jesus. 
There are also a lot of strange words in the Bible, words we don't use in normal language. But when we take time to understand them, we discover profound ideas that contribute to the overall biblical story. So it takes work to know how to read the different types of literature in the Bible. But once you do learn how, you'll discover that the Bible is a work of literary genius that can transform how you live and how you think about everything. So that's what the Bible Project is all about, to help people see the Bible as one unified story that leads to Jesus. We're a nonprofit animation studio that makes videos and resources. And it's all free to use because of a large group of generous people who've come together to contribute to this project. You can find everything that we're up to at thebibleproject.com. Great place to start if you've never read the Bible straight through. It tells one story, and at the center of the story stands one person, Jesus himself promised in the Old Testament, living in the New Testament, and according to the end of the New Testament, to soon return. Here's what Jesus said in His day about the Scriptures themselves. John 5, verse 39 says this, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Jesus was speaking that day to men who knew the Bible better than I do, likely better than you do. They continued studying the Bible. They continued scrutinizing Scripture, but they made a fatal mistake. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, this sermon is intended in three short arguments to try to persuade you with God's help to read the Bible for life for your whole life, to meet with God daily at a time that you've set aside, and unless you're providentially and supernaturally hindered by something really big in your life, you're going to keep the appointment. And you're going to read for yourself what God has said about Himself in the Word because the point of the written Word is to bring you in touch and give you the life of the incarnate Word of Jesus Himself. Since I'm talking about reading and since the internet really has rewired and stolen many of our brains, that, that's not conjecture anymore. We have research on it. The very idea of sitting down with a device or with a book and reading every day might seem already insurmountable to you. I want to tell you that it's worth the effort because you live in a very particular and special time of history. You live on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. You can read for yourself the prophecies that promised his life. You can speak to God in prayer. You can actually speak to the risen, living Jesus, and you can meet with him to hear from him. And as I'm going to show you, you might find encouragement. You might find correction. There's no telling what you might find in an actual living relationship with the God who loves you. But it all begins not with your personal impressions, not with your mystical musings. It actually all begins with the Word of God. That's what Paul wanted to know Timothy shortly before they killed him for Paul's own faith in Jesus. Open your Bible with me to the, toward the end of the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3, please. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 that's printed on your outline as well so that we can read it aloud together. 
I'd like you to read with me 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. I would just ask that you read from the printed page because there are several good translations. They all differ a little bit so that we all read the exact same words and don't have a little cacophony going on. Read with me 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's read it again together. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Here's why you should read the Bible for the rest of your life, and from it you will receive life. You should read it first of all, Paul says, because it's personal. These scriptures, literally these writings, are not like any other writings. He uses an utterly unique word in the New Testament that's translated as a phrase into English. He said, all scripture is, and then it sounds a little strange to modern ears, all scripture is what now? Breathed out by God. Some of your translations say inspired. And that's good enough as far as it goes, but language changes. That's why they keep translating not only the Bible, but all old books, because language changes. And when I say inspired, most people hear the word inspired, and they think motivated, fired up. Like maybe you were inspired to run a half marathon. I don't know why anybody would, but that might be your thing. The actual word that Paul wrote in Greek here has nothing to do with being encouraged or motivated. It literally means that all Scripture, all of these writings across all of this time, from the first writings of Moses that told the story of creation and how God chose and made Israel out of absolutely nothing and gave them kings and prophets and carried them along through all of their sin and through all of their failure because not a single one of them except Jesus would be able to save the world. All the way into the time of the apostles where they're writing, I won't take time to show you, but the apostles themselves are conscious that as they're writing shortly after the resurrection of Jesus, they know they're writing Scripture all over again. They're writing Scripture afresh. All of those writings, Paul says, that's what scriptures means. These writings are unlike any other in human history because they are breathed out by God. Now, Paul knew the Old Testament likely nearly by heart. And if you search through Paul's Bible, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, you're going to find that references to the breath of God are actually pretty rare. It just doesn't use that phrase very often. But there's a psalm that says that God created the world by His breath. And sometimes His breath judges, and other times it creates. But probably what Paul was thinking about is the very account of human creation, where God makes Adam and breathes into him, and Adam becomes a living being. I can't prove it, but I believe that that is what is in Paul's mind, and he is saying these writings 
are not mere human conjecture. It wasn't a group of people giving their opinions of what they thought about reality or about God. When we received these writings, we received them as the very voice, word, expression of God Himself. They're utterly unique, and the men who wrote them knew it. Peter wrote about a tremendous experience he had And he helps us understand that the Bible is a unique book because it is spoken by God, but it's written by man. That's why if you went to grad school or maybe in college, as as someone in our church did, they decided they would take a Greek minor. Once you start reading the Greek of the New Testament, you discover that it's pretty different. The Greek of John is quite different from the Greek of the author of Hebrews, for instance. Why is that? Because these are ordinary people. Some of them are very highly educated, others are commercial fishermen. The language and the style varies, but God Himself is working through ordinary people and using their backgrounds, their limited language to actually inspire Himself, uh, to actually rather to speak for Himself. Here's how Peter explained it. Peter is referring to a absolutely stunning moment where he and a couple of others saw Jesus sort of pull back the curtain and show the very glory of God. It's called, that story in that moment is called the Mount of Transfiguration. And now Peter, near the end of his life and his ministry, is writing to ordinary Christians, telling them that we didn't make any of this up. We actually saw him there on the mountain. We weren't telling you stories. And what's best, you don't have to be there. You don't have to have those supernatural experiences to know that you're hearing from God because God has given us His Word. Here's how He explained it. He said, we have the prophetic word. In other words, a word spoken as from God. That's what a prophet does. Mark the words. More fully confirmed. In other words, when we're writing, when we're reading the words of the prophet, when we're reading Scripture, we have something that is even better, that is even more secure than our personal experiences. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Now, what's that about? For a commercial fisherman, Peter, with the inspiration of God, being carried along by God, can be flat-out poetic. You ever felt like life was a little dark? You ever felt confused, didn't know where to turn, who to ask for help, didn't know what to do next? Peter says some of you may be experiencing life as a dark place, but this prophetic word, this word from God, these writings are like a lamp shining in that darkness. You will do well to pay attention to that Scripture until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In other words, until God makes everything right. He goes on to say, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. That's a very important thing that you're being taught about the Bible in the Bible. What it means is this, none of the biblical authors, none of the men that God used to breathe out His Word did it of their own initiative. At no point in his life did John the Apostle say, I feel like writing a gospel today, I'll just start writing some things down. 
No one is authorized to continue to write things down for God. That prophecy of Scripture did not come from someone's own interpretation. To make it doubly clear, he says here at the end, read the last sentence with me. It begins with the word for. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I can't envision that, but I love the image that Peter wants to convey. These are ordinary people, but they're not speaking of their own initiative. The apostles did not get together and have a writing club and say, what should we write? What do you think? What are your imaginations? What are your recollections? No, what was happening there is something divine, something supernatural, something that Paul later will call words written as if they were breathed out by God because those men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They weren't just motivated. They were used by God. They spoke by God with the clarity of God. And here's the beautiful thing about it. The first thing you need to know about Scripture in this first phrase is this. The Word of God is personal because God has expressed Himself in writing. He has told you His own Word in such clarity and with such personality that it's as if God was speaking to you face to face. Here's the thing, folks. The bookstore, if you go to Barnes & Noble later today, the bookstore is filled with personal interpretations of truth. The Bible is not one of those. You go into the self-help section, You'll find visions of all kinds, dreams, conjectures, studies, the latest in neuroscience, all the way to mystical trips that people gain by using psychedelics. All of those are actual human experiences. They're actual human thoughts. The Bible says that it stands apart because though it was written by men, it was actually the very Word of God as God carried them along so that God Himself could speak to us personally and with authority. But that's not all. Go back to 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, it says. In other words, when you sit down with your Bible as I did this morning because I try to keep the appointment. And listen, I'm just like you. A lot of things happens on my smartphone. And every morning when I wake up, I feel the pull, maybe you do too, to check email. Anybody else struggle with that? Especially if somebody's upset or somebody's in trouble or somebody needs help and we left something later, late in the evening. I'm just so tempted to immediately get plugged in and get back into the matrix and just Anybody else do this? You're looking at me with a great deal of judgment. I'm just wondering what's going on. <laughs> That's real. That's me. May not be you, but it's me. It is so much better if I have a book that I can actually hold in my hands and read in one of the languages I know by heart that is spoken to me from the time of childhood and sit, as it were, with God and have these writings that tell this cohesive story across 1,400 years written by some 40 different authors that tell of one man 
living on my behalf, dying for my sins, and rising to give me eternal life when I squander that privilege to hear from anybody else, even an email? I'm missing a great deal. Because it is a personal word from God to me, and it goes on to say that this is not merely academic. It's not a matter of study. It's not a matter of nerding out and mastering a difficult ancient book. Paul says this is all profitable. All Scripture is breathed out by God, he says, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. There's four words there that explain the profit of Scripture, the blessing, the benefit that Scripture opens to you every time you open it. Let's go through them one by one. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. That's a pretty straightforward word. Here's what it means. Any of you ever taken a college class? Did they in that class give you a syllabus? Did you read it? Very doubtful. <laughs> I teach undergrads from time to time, and I can tell you from painful personal experience, their pain, not mine, nobody reads the syllabus. Usually about halfway through the semester, teachers start getting emails or office visits if they're residential by anguish people who say things like, I didn't know. And the question is, did you read the syllabus? And they say, I guess I missed that part. Well, it's on page one. <laughs> so I didn't know the test counted that much. I didn't know that was your attendance policy. I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. Why am I telling you that? Because this word teaching that Paul selects here means that everything that God actually wants you to know about life with Him and life in the world He made, it's all right here. As the Bible says elsewhere, everything that pertains to life and godliness has already been provided by God. It doesn't address everything in life, it just addresses everything in life that truly matters. That's why it says it's profitable for teaching. It's the whole curriculum. It is the course outline. And then it uses three words, bang, 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 to paint a picture of the process that you'll undergo when you begin to profit from Scripture. It says it's profitable for teaching. And then it says reproof, correction, and training. Now, reproof is a strange word that people don't usually uh, used very often in daily conversation. Maybe somebody has a different translation that'll give us a more up-to-date word. Anybody else? I read reproof. What does your Bible say? For rebuking. Anybody else? Somebody in the first service said for exposing things that are wrong. And that's exactly what reproof or rebuke means. God, you're being told, has decided in writing, using his own breath, so to speak, has told you everything you need to know about life. And when you come into a personal relationship with him through Jesus and you start reading who God is, what he wants, you're going to find a great deal in your life that is wrong, that is out of place. That's why the next word says for correction. And that means taking something that is fallen or broken and restoring it and putting it back in its place. And then it says, for training in righteousness. Reproof, correction, and training. 
Now, this text is so fundamental that I've taught this passage to you before and essentially this message several years ago. So some of you have heard this story. Forgive me for telling it again. It's the best image I have that explains the process that Paul is saying will, you will be benefited by if and only if you daily and continually meet with God and hear His voice through His Word. When I was in ninth grade, I succumbed through social pressure to a student-teacher uh, softball game. Terrible idea in northern Mexico in 105-degree heat to play anything outside, but especially softball. Because as I found out as a child, turns out the ball's not actually soft. I have no idea why they should call it that. If anything, they should call it slightly larger ball, because it is bigger than a baseball. Baseball makes more sense, but anyway, there I am, and you can already tell from the way I led into this story, I don't play softball very well at all. Well, they put me on first base, and we discovered that our big lummox of a choir teacher was even a worse softball player than I was, because he hit a slow roller over toward third. I knew enough to stretch for the throw that was coming from third because the kid at third base was maybe worse than I was. It was hard to pick between us who was actually worse at this game. So I tried to help him out by stretching, and it did me no good because the lummox of a choir teacher stepped on my ankle instead of first base and snapped my ankle. Yeah, I know. That's what I said, but in Spanish. I was told, again, the name of the bone, but I cannot remember it. It's just been a few minutes ago. I don't know why I can't remember it, but this little knot right here on this side of your ankle rotated all the way over and joined the knot on the other side. Everything was broken. They let me sit in the sun telling me it was a spray and I could probably walk it off in a little while. But eventually we discovered that, no, he actually does need surgery, and Dr. Larry Nua, I'll never forget that good man's name, was an orthopedic surgeon and really good. He put me all the way under, and the first thing he did was reprove or expose what was wrong. Something was obviously wrong. He was the only one who was skilled in exposing it. He opened up my leg, found those shattered bones, and having exposed what was wrong, he corrected it. He put everything back where it should be. They put me in a cast. Six weeks later, they took the cast off. I discovered that my left leg was now the size of my right wrist. <laughs> and that began a whole other, much longer and tedious process of rehabilitation. In other words, I had to train. That's what the Bible offers, but not with your bones, with your heart, with your soul, with the very center of who you are. See, God and you both know that things are wrong. You live every day if you're self-aware. You live the way I do. Aware, frustrated, sometimes depressed, sometimes angry, often despairing, that things in your very being are wrong and out of place. The prophet of Scripture is that it is the very breath of God, not from academic learning, but from a person who loves you and made you and knows life as it is, who will speak into that situation and sometimes painfully, but always for your good, expose what it's wrong, correct it and put it back into place, and that given enough time, you will then be trained in righteousness. 
This is the journey that God is inviting every disciple of Jesus to go through. And here's a simple rule about spiritual growth. Because Scripture alone offers these benefits, you can read the Bible without maturing, but you cannot mature without reading your Bible. Let's deal with the first part of that sentence. There's a lot of people who have read the Bible and been unaffected by it. I'll just be plain. Have you ever met a mean Christian? You've met a contradiction. You've met a hypocrite. There should be no mean Christians. We can all be mean, but as a course of life, unless that person is very new and very immature in their faith, there should be nothing like a full-grown mean Christian. He may have read the Bible, he may know doctrine and theology, but he has not been changed by the breath and by the Word of God. But if he will continually read his Bible and yield to this process of having what is wrong exposed, having it corrected by God himself, and then being trained up in strength in the way he should go, he'll become, she'll become more and more like Jesus. That's why Scripture is profitable. And the final thing I can tell you about Scripture is in the very last verse. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul refers here to the man of God because that's what Timothy is. He's picking up actually an Old Testament phrase of prophets who spoke for God, and he's telling Timothy, Timothy, right before they kill me, I want you to remember who you are. You're the next man up. You're the next man on the line. You're going to speak and teach God's word to these people as people did, as men did before you. And here's what Scripture can do for you. It can make you complete. It can make you mature and make you equipped, prepared for every good work. And it's not just preachers and pastors. The benefit, the blessing, the profit of God's Word is it invites every disciple of Jesus. If you're old enough to be in this room and you're old enough and mature enough to understand this sermon, your daily opening of the Word of God invites you on a daily journey accompanied by God Himself who loved you enough to put His words and His character into writing. It invites you into a journey that makes you someday equipped for all the good work that God called you to do. What may God call you to do? Only He knows. That's the point of preparation. That's the point of training. That's the point of equipping. This Scripture is purposeful because the time you spend listening to God's Word prepares you to do all kinds of good. I volunteer from time to time with first responders, and I'm continually mesmerized. I guess you could say I'm a fanboy of men and women who daily prepare to be ready for danger and trouble that other people will face, and they don't know every day they go to work what it might be. But if you've ever seen a team in an emergency room, if you've ever seen a group of firefighters deal with very difficult situations, in the case of firefighters, they don't know. It might be the proverbial cartoonish cat in the tree, or it might be a human being trapped in wreckage that is burning. 
How will they answer all of those different kinds of calls? Only by being equipped, only by being mature, only by being prepared. The Word of God says that it can do that for you. As you daily meet with Him, your heart is changed, your mind is changed, your wisdom increases, your foolishness is banished, and you become prepared, ready to do all kinds of good work that God has prepared for you. And that's a great offer. Let's just be real here for a second before we close. Any of you having any trouble in life right now? Students, are you finding school super easy and everybody super enjoyable? These professors and their ridiculous syllabi? You finding that difficult at all? Parents, are you having any, along with all the joys, and there are many, are you having any challenges, any questions, any fears as you parent? Those of you who are single, there's never been a worse time in American life to be single. So many distractions, so many offers to spend your life on foolishness. Who can prepare you for every blessing and every challenge, for every potential gift, and help you be spared every disaster that life in this sin-wrecked world can offer you? Only the God who made it and who sent His Son to redeem it. Only the God who is willing to meet with you day by day, if only you will meet with Him. This is why I'm inviting you to read the Bible for life. I'm recommitting myself personally in a very specific way to helping people in our congregation understand the Bible. Beginning Wednesday evenings on the last Wednesday of this month, we're going to start offering in this room at 7 o'clock a little course that will teach you the rules of the road for reading and understanding the Bible for yourself. It's the proverbial teach a person to fish thing. The Bible's a big book in three different languages with all kinds of different literature. I don't want to lecture you. I want to create a workshop that we'll go through together, and we won't just listen. We'll sit down with open paper Bibles. Please bring a paper Bible. It's helpful. And we'll just read the Bible together. We'll learn to ask questions of it. I'll teach you the rules of the road that have been established for centuries on how you can make sense and bring into daily life what you're reading on the page. That all begins on Wednesday, May 29th. You're all invited. If you want to come, just let us know on the card. But that class and this sermon and Everything like the Bible reading, the Bible project, or the reading scripture app, it's all intended and it all has this simple invitation to invite you to meet with the Lord God Almighty who loved you so much, not only was He willing to send His Son, He was also willing to give you witness of God and His Son in writing so that you can read it day by day. And if you start now, I promise you, if you stick with Him, in three months, you won't recognize yourself. You'll be a different person because the reading of God's Word, this breath of God is so profitable, it'll change you from the inside out. You just have to start. Let's pray. Could I just ask you, Christian, to get it settled with God? If you've been distracted, if you've been first to social media, first to email, first to text messages, and you've just been distracted from the Lord, could I invite you to talk to Him about it and recommit yourself to hearing from Him every day He gives you the life and the health to do so?
And if you don't know Jesus, I've only told you about His great love in passing, really. Sermon's been about Scripture. But only He can save you. He's the point of Scripture. He's the center of history. God gave you more than sayings in a book. He gave you a Savior. And if you'll trust Him, He'll save you. If you don't know Him, you've been wondering, you've been struggling, you've been doubting, could I invite you in the name of Jesus to surrender yourself to Him right now? And say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you. I trust you. I don't understand everything I've heard, but I feel the need. I feel my guilt. I feel my shame. However, you understand it and you express it. You see yourself in need of a Savior. Turn to Jesus right now. And if you do, let us know on the card. If you have questions, if you need practical help, that's why we're here for. That's why you have a church family. That's why pastors exist. We're not bosses, we're just older brothers in the family, walking along with Jesus herself, who are help, would love to help shepherd you along, guide you along, so that you can hear from the Lord. Father, a new day will, will come tomorrow, and we'll have another opportunity to hear from you. Help us not neglect it. We live in a time where everything is digital, everything's mediated on a screen. It's so tempting, so easy. Our brains are being rewired to go to screens first. Whether it's on paper or on a screen, help us hear from you first. Father, speak, reprove, correct, train up, train us up, change us from the inside out. If there's a single person here who is in need of you, and they, maybe they've been putting it off and postponing their faith, let them call out to you now, ask you to save them. Receive this offering, Lord. Receive these prayers, this praise from a church that loves you. And grow us and change us as we meet with you in Christ's name.